that I love the New Testament. One of the reasons I believe the New Testament is true is because most of it was written by the apostles, but when they wrote it, they don't make themselves look good. They don't shy away from saying and including things where they really look like idiots. Like, if I was creating a religion, and I was going to write down this thing to create a religion, I'd make myself look good because I'm creating it and I want you to trust me and believe me. And so I'd be like, I'm a super genius and I never made any mistakes. But instead, a lot of times, the disciples look like the three students. Like Jesus says something and he's like, I want you to go there. And so they're like, oh, you want me to go over here? He's like, no, no, over there. And they're like, over here? And he's like, no, over there. And they're like, okay, we're going to start heading this way. And you're like, what is wrong with you? Like, did Jesus pick some of the dumbest people on the planet? Like, what were they just stubborn? Um, I know when I was a kid, I had this cassette player that you would get educational books for and slap up on top of the cassette player. And this was high technology in the 80s. I think we have a picture. And uh, so you put this booklet up on the cassette player and you put it in the cassette and then it would ask you questions and you hit a green, yellow, red, or blue button to answer the questions. And I had all kinds of educational books for it that my parents bought me, but my favorite one was called Rovers Don't Push the Red Button. And in every page, he would not include the red button and he'd say like, how many donuts are there here? Is it the green button, the yellow button, the blue button? It's not the red button. Don't push the red button. Do not push the red button. And every page I'd go, and red button and Grover would say, no, not the red button. Don't press the red button. Sometimes Darby asks me, she's like, why are you constantly nagging? And like, you just, you got to poke and you, I think Grover's don't push the red button trained me as a child to be uh, like, you know, always you were, hitting the button. You were that way long before Grover. <laughs> So I feel like the disciples sometimes, Jesus is like, don't push the red button. And they're like, this red button? You know, like, what is their deal? Why can't they get it? And uh, we've been looking through the book of Mark at every time the word gospel is mentioned. And in Mark chapter 14, we find this example where the disciples just don't get it. Jesus is chilling at Simon the leper's house. You know, because that sounds like a cool place to hang out, you know? Um, <laughs> Why is he called Simon the leper? He was likely a leper that Jesus had healed. If he was still actively a leper, no one would be at his house for a party. This is likely to differentiate him from other Simons in the Bible, because Simon is a very common name. You have um, Simon the Pharisee, who's mentioned in the New Testament. Simon the leper, mentioned here. Simon, also called Peter, is mentioned. So it's very easy to get confused. So to be clear, this is Simon, who used to be a leper, likely healed by Jesus. And they might actually be in his house right now to celebrate the fact that enough time passed that he was welcomed back into society and welcomed back to his property and to his family. Or, because of where it fits in the timeline, it may be celebrating the fact that they're in Bethany and Jesus just rose Lazarus from the dead. That would be a big thing to celebrate. So, they're in Bethany, which is a suburb of Jerusalem outside the city walls, and we see Jesus came here often. And some of his best friends that we see in the New Testament lived here, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. Yes, Lazarus that I just said, that Jesus wept over and raised from the dead. And so he's in this community, he's at Simon the leper's house, they're having a party, they're hanging out. And um, something interesting happens here because he praises Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, and everybody else is condemning her, criticizing her. And it's interesting, every time we see Mary, somebody's complaining about her or criticizing her. 
Now, once again, like Simon, there's a lot of Marys in the Bible. Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, but this is Mary from Bethany, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. The other time we see Jesus come to Bethany, he's hanging out at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house, and Martha's like, Jesus is here, and she's like cleaning and dusting. She's getting all the food ready. Have you ever had like guests over and you go into like hyper mode because you're like, everything has to be perfect because guests are coming. I'm like, oh, people are coming over. And Darby's like, no, you gotta clean. Like you can't just have people, but you gotta clean. And so Martha was like cleaning and trying to get everything ready. And Mary was just sitting at Jesus's feet, listening to everything that he said. And so Martha goes up to Jesus and says, my sister is so late. Like, yell at her and tell her to come help me. And he says, Martha, who are you trying to impress? Like, I just want to spend time with you guys. You don't have to impress me. He says, Mary's doing the better thing because she's listening to me rather than trying to impress me. And so that's the first time we see Mary, and this is the second time we'll see what's happening here. Jesus thinks that listening to him is better than trying to impress him. But in Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9, we see where the disciples act like idiots, and Mary gets it. So in verse 3, it says, While he was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume of pure nard. You say, wait a minute, how do you know this is Mary? Because the same story is also told in three of the Gospels. And so in John, it tells us that this person coming in here is actually Mary. So the same story is told in three places in the New Testament. And each one gives us a little bit more detail. But we're in Mark today. So she comes in with this perfume of pure nard. And can you imagine the advertisement for nard? Buy nard. <laughs> I, I just, I don't know how they sold that. She broke the jar and poured it on his head. But some were expressing indignation to one another. And they said, why has this perfume been wasted? This perfume might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they began to scold her. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you, and you can do what is good for them anytime you want. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. I told you that the disciples are idiots, right? Like, look how dumb they are here. Jesus had told the 12 men who traveled with him and learned from him over and over again, he said, I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back to life. I'm going to die, but I'm not going to stay dead. And every time he said that, they're like, no, that's not going to happen. I promise you that's not going to happen. He's like, I'm telling you, it's going to happen. I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back to life. And they kept saying, no, 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 that's not going to happen. The men weren't listening, but the women who followed Jesus were. Let's be honest, men are pretty horrible at listening most of the time anyways, right? And so I started looking into this this week because I'm like, it's not my fault that I don't hear Darby when she says something to me, right? There's a scientific reason. So um, there was a study done at the University of Sheffield, and it was published in the journal Neuroimage, and uh, it found that men's and women's brains actually hear sound differently. And so men can hear other men, and it takes very little brain processing power, but women's voices are more sing-songy, the study found, and it actually, in, in the brain, registers like music to a man, to a man's brain. And music requires more active thought for a man to process and listen and understand it. And so the study concluded that it's not men's fault because it's a more complex process that uses more of their brains to analyze a woman's voice than a male's voice. Um, 
Darby's like, just focus on me more, listen to me more. Um, but Jesus was a man, so sometimes men just don't listen. And they apparently weren't listening to Jesus. You know, it's interesting, the first people to know that Jesus had come back to life were not the 12 apostles. It was women who went to the tomb. And they came back and they said, we've seen Jesus, he's risen from the dead. And the apostles were like, no, you're crazy. You're emotional. You've been too emotional. You're crazy. There's no way Jesus came back. And then later on, Jesus appeared to them, and they were like, oh, you were right. The disciples were not the smartest people, and one of the things I love about the New Testament is they include their mistakes. Now, this passage that we're looking at today is found in Matthew and Mark and John. Only Luke does not include it. And those other accounts tell us that this was Mary, the sister of Martha, and Lazarus. And we know that she was obviously listening to what Jesus said, even though the disciples weren't. Jesus kept saying, I'm going to die, I'm going to come back to life. I'm going to die, I'm going to come back to life. And the disciples are like, so you're never going to die. Okay. And he's like, I'm going to die and come back to life. And they're like, so you're never going to die. But Mary was listening. She heard what Jesus said. So she does something interesting. She takes some nard, spiked nard as it's also known as, which was this rare perfume, and it was used to anoint dead bodies for burial. It helped keep the stench off before they buried a body. It was a sweet smell that you would pour onto a prepared corpse for burial. So she anoints a living body with burial oil. This was a weird thing. This wasn't like she went to her perfume drawer and she was like, this smells nice, I'll give some to Jesus. This was stuff that you would save for when someone in your family died and you would put some on them. And so she goes up to someone living and puts burial oil on them. It would be like walking up to somebody and being like, here's a casket, I bought you a casket. And you're like, you got plans to kill me? Like, what's going on here? It was a weird thing. But this was her way of saying, I hear you, Jesus, and I believe you. I believe you're going to die, but I believe you're going to come back to life. Now, the other element that is at play here is that spikenard was extremely expensive. It was imported from India, and it cost an average person's middle income salary for a year. They say it's 300 denarii. This is roughly between 40 and $50,000 that she poured out onto the head of Jesus in this single act. She spends $50,000 pouring out a precious oil that probably would have been used on lots of bodies over a long period of time. Maybe it had been in her family for a long time. And so the room, as she pours this out on Jesus' head, fills with the sweet smell of spike nard. Now, I didn't pay $50,000 for that. It's a little bit more affordable these days, but I thought it would be cool if I had some spike nard here and um, you guys could smell what, it's, what it smells like. Taking it to that next level. The long delay as it slowly drips out of the bottle. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to pass this around as I continue. And you guys can smell what spike line smells like. <laughs> so, this smell, as she poured it out on Jesus' head, probably filled the room that they were in. Like everyone all of a sudden smells this smell. And this is a smell that's associated with death. A smell that's associated with funerals. The only time they ever smelled this was when somebody they loved died. When someone that they knew died. And we're coming up on Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving because I get to eat pies. And I love pies. 
But every time I smell an apple pie, I think of my grandmother's apple pie recipe. Like every time I smell apple pie, the cinnamon and the sugar and the apples baking, I think of my grandma. That memory just comes back with that smell. So every time someone smelled spikenard, they immediately thought of death. They thought of the last person they had lost, the last funeral they had gone to. Everyone in first century Israel would associate this smell with death. And so the men start complaining. As soon as she does this and pours this out, they are pissed off. They're like, this is so stupid. What a waste. What a waste of money. How could we have used this money better? We could have helped the poor with this. They begin to make her feel bad about worshiping Jesus the best way she knew how. I don't know about you, but that makes me mad. Here's somebody who's like, I just want to worship Jesus. I want him to understand that I hear him and I believe him. And the religious leaders in the room are like, bad job. Horrible. You did horrible. We're mad at you. You're messing up. The religious leaders were missing it. And this woman was getting it. Because she was listening to Jesus. And they weren't. They criticized her when she did something unexpected. And that still happens today. If you're listening to Jesus, sometimes those in authority, sometimes those who have religious authority, if they're not listening to Jesus, they might criticize what you're doing just because it's unexpected and they haven't seen it done like that before. See, sometimes people talk about good things, but they have no idea what Jesus is actually about. Some people say, I've learned a lot of religious words to say so that it sounds like I'm really spiritual, but they completely miss the point about what Jesus was about. And sometimes the church is so pragmatic and lacking in imagination, they want to talk about spreadsheets and how we could have spent that $50,000 better or in a bigger way. And she wanted to talk about Jesus. See, I think sometimes the church would rather criticize everything instead of actually do something. Jesus is like, I'm not stopping you from helping the poor. See, that was their thing to make them feel more spiritual about criticizing her. They're like, think of all the poor people we could have helped you hadn't wasted this money. And Jesus is like, nothing's stopping you from helping the poor. Get out there and help them. That's pretty much what he says. Like, if you really care about the poor, go help them. But you don't care about the poor. You just wanted to hold that money and be like, look at all the ministries we did with this money. Jesus said, you've been hanging around me, but you haven't heard me. You've been hanging around me, but you don't li live like I do. You've been hanging around me, and you don't love like I do. You treat people poorly. Here's somebody worshiping Jesus in the best way she knows how, and the religious people in the room are like, mm -hmm. no, that's wrong, bad. By giving lavishly and lovingly, she was reflecting the gospel in her actions. In the way that she lived, she was reflecting the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus that God himself would lay down his single precious life to rescue many lives through death and come back to life to implement a new kingdom. All that was wrapped up in this one single beautiful act of sacrifice. She was preaching the good news, the gospel, by the simple act of breaking this bottle and pouring it over Jesus' head. And I think there's some interesting things at play here that parallels the act she did in the gospel. First of all, the oil was very precious. It was worth most people's entire uh, income for a year. And Jesus is very precious. He's God. He's the precious source of all life. And he laid down his life for us, just like she poured out the oil for him. The oil was intended to anoint many dead bodies, but was used on one man. Jesus was one man, but because of his death, he would rescue many people who were dead in their sins. 
The oil was intended for the dead, but it was applied to someone living. Jesus would die, but he would ultimately live again. The oil had a sweet smell, but it was known as the perfume of death. Jesus would suffer the punishment for the crime of the world, but in doing so, he would allow the world to live the life that he would. And so all these things were at play in that moment. And when she did this, Jesus saw she's been listening. She knows what I'm doing. She understands. The disciples are oblivious. They're like, how can we raise more money for the poor? And Jesus is like, something bigger is happening here, and you're missing it. But Mary gets it. And so Jesus says something really crazy here. And one of the reasons I love Jesus so much is, if you just read the things he says, he says a lot of crazy things. A lot of really things that you're like, did he really say this? It's amazing when you think about some of these things he says. He silences the men, and he says, everywhere the gospel goes, everywhere the good news goes, everywhere my story goes, you know what's going to go with it? The story of this woman and what she did tonight. He's like, hey guys, shut up for a minute. This woman that you're criticizing, you're going to carry her story with you everywhere you go on this planet. Because you know who took the gospel to the corners of the world? The 12 men in that room. The 12 men who were criticizing her and complaining about her and saying, no, no, you got it wrong. You're wasting money. This isn't the way we do things. He says, guess what? You're going to be telling her story for the rest of your life. A few years ago, I went to India. And while I was in southern India, there were Christian churches there that traced their lineage back to Thomas, one of the apostles who traveled to India and brought the good news of Jesus Christ. And for generations, for 2,000 years, they've carried on a Christian tradition there because Thomas came there. And you know what he brought with him? He told the good news of Jesus, and he told the story of these, like Mary broke this bottle over Jesus' head as a picture of the gospel. The men that were mocking her were ultimately going to be the men who carried her story for the rest of time. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about something Mary did that night. Probably after she did it, and she poured it on Jesus' head, and all the men started mocking her, she probably immediately had regrets. Have you ever done that? You're like, oh man, I'm nervous about this. I'm nervous about this. I remember in college one time I was asking out this girl, and I was like pacing back and forth, and I was nervous about it. And I went over to her desk in class, and I was like, hey, would you like to go to this... Uh, this uh, play with me at campus? And she's like, no. <laughs> and I like, went back. I tripped over a desk walking away. So that always makes me look cool. And then I went and sat back down and I had to you know, sit next to her for the rest of the semester in this class. It's a real smart move on my part. Um, I immediately regretted that. And I'm sure Mary immediately regretted it after everyone began to mock her and complain about her. And Jesus is like, no, stop. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about an act that Mary did on a single night. Because Jesus said, you know what, Mary, you've been listening. Everybody else has missed it. They don't get it yet, but when they do, they're going to carry the story of this with them everywhere the church goes and grows. They're going to celebrate what you did tonight forever. They might be complaining right now, but ultimately they're going to celebrate you with what you did. He said, in fact... When they write all this down about me to preserve it through the ages, they're going to include the story of what you did. They're going to write down that they acted foolishly and you acted faithfully. The book of Mark was written by a student of Peter's. Peter the apostle, he had people that he trained to live and love like Jesus, and one of those was a man named Mark. And so when Peter is telling Mark, here's what happened, here's what you should write down and remember, 
He says, make sure you put in that part where Mary got it and I didn't. Where Mary got it and the rest of us were idiots. See, the gospel elevates ordinary people and knits their story into a divine story that started long before you were born and I was born and will continue long after you and I are gone. Her story became part of the greatest story when she lived out the gospel. Her reckless love mirrored his death for us, the death of God, because of his reckless love for us. Now, I don't have $50,000 worth of spike dart to pour out on Jesus' head. Like, all of us don't have $50,000 worth of spike dart to pour out on Jesus' head to reveal the gospel to the world. But all of us have unique experiences and talents and backgrounds so that each of us can uniquely reveal the good news of Jesus to the world. What the disciples were saying is, she's showing the gospel in a way that we, well, we didn't expect. In a way that we didn't sign off on. On a way that we didn't approve. And Jesus said, no, she's uniquely revealing the gospel to everybody in this room. And it doesn't have to be like how you did it or how I did it. Part of the job of the church is helping you understand what the gospel is, what the good news of Jesus is, and figuring out how you've been uniquely designed to reveal that good news of Jesus to the world. I think when our actions reflect the gospel, our stories become part of his big story. So you say, Alex, so is the gospel something you say, or is it something that you share? Is it something that you show, or is it something you just speak? It's both. Like, if you hate your neighbor, he's probably not going to listen to you about how much Jesus loves your neighbor, right? But if you show love to your neighbor, they're going to be more open to hear about how Jesus, who you claim to be a student of, loves your neighbor. If you live in love like Jesus, people will want to hear about your Jesus. If you sacrifice generously like Jesus, people will want to live like Jesus. Darby and I watched the uh, Netflix movie Klaus. Don't watch that without a box of tissues. Oh, man. I thought, oh, what am I, getting soft now? I'm 36 and I start crying at movies. But uh, there's a great line in there and it says, every single sacrificial act leads to another. And I think that Jesus' act of sacrificing himself generously, when we reflect that in our lives, people get curious about the Jesus that we serve. When you give good to people when they deserve bad, like Jesus did to us, people want to hear about our Jesus. That makes people curious. They'll be eager to meet the master that taught us to live this way. As I uh, turn 36 this month, I start thinking, man, I'm getting pretty old I'm starting to feel pretty old. Scotty's like, yeah, you're ancient now. I'm like, you know, I don't want to live and die and have my being here on this planet not matter. I don't want my story to be a small story. Now, that doesn't mean I want to be the big part of my story, but I want to come and join my story to the story of Jesus by living out the gospel. And that's exactly what Jesus invites. He says, come be a part of my kingdom. Join your story to mine, because mine is a never-ending story. Turn around, look at what you see in your face. I won't do it anymore, I just get that. Um, <laughs> if you were born in the 80s, that's never ended story. Story. If you're born in the 90s or after, that's strange. So. so as we end, what do we need to, like I feel my face getting red now after. <laughs> um, it was horrible, thank you. So, what do we end by asking ourselves? Are we listening? The, the disciples spent all this time with Jesus. Maybe you're spending all this time in church, or you're spending all this time around people who are saying spiritual things at you. 
but are you listening? This is something I had to stop and think. Like as I'm preparing messages, as I read the Bible, as I pray, am I talking at God or am I actually listening? The disciples spent a lot of time with Jesus, but they didn't end up looking like Jesus. They spent a lot of time with Jesus, but they didn't love people like Jesus did. We can say spiritual things, we can memorize spiritual answers, and we can miss what Jesus was all about. Or we can be like Mary, listen to what he says, and act, act. And then the question that I think that needs to linger with us and we need to spend some time thinking about, praying about, wrestling with is, how can I uniquely reveal the good news of Jesus to the world? Because you're going to reveal the gospel in a way that's different. Like not all of you are going to stand up here someday and say, here's what the Bible says, here's what Jesus was about. But you're going to have a unique way to reveal the gospel to the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. Thank you for your word, and thank you for the story of Mary. She was an ordinary person in an ordinary town who did an extraordinary act of sacrificial love. And that reflected your sacrificial love, and her story lives on because of it. God, I don't want to live and die and my story simply pass away. I want to join my story into the cosmic grand story of you rescuing people far away from God and embracing them with your love. Lord, I pray that you will help us find how we can uniquely reveal your gospel and share the good news that you did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to rescue us. And I pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ.